Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Grace Presbyterian here in Segola. We begin a new study this morning, highlighting the church's 2017 theme of the year called Grace Together. Today's message kicks off that theme with a study from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he leads the church in the reminder of God's grace and in the manner by which God has shown us grace. Thanks for listening. President Abraham Lincoln uh, gave a speech uh, during the year 1858, June 16th, in Springfield, Illinois, recognizing that the nation was divided north and south, uh, pro-slavery, anti-slavery. In this very famous uh, speech of his, he quotes Jesus out of Mark's gospel, and he says, No kingdom that's divided amongst itself can, can last. And any house that is, that is divided will fall. It's pretty easy for us to look at the things that would divide us. I asked for my, uh, my son's help this morning with one of his Legos. With a little house here. But you'll recognize that if the pieces don't fit together just properly, it won't ever stand. And the house will fall and... Even as I was looking at this little simple illustration, it occurred to me that there are a lot of places of failure, right? There's a lot of points uh, where this could break. In fact, each point of failure is marked by one of the little Lego blocks. It made me think of how in our, uh, in our world today, when we look at the things that are unique among mankind... The things that are unique, they're like little blocks, and each one of them has the potential to divide us. I want to see if I can do something a little unique in church, a little bit of a response. We're going to do a few things that are a little uncharacteristic here as we go through this message of grace together. Um, I want to ask if you will talk to the people in the row with you. It's going to be all right. Uh, and see if you can decide on um, some things that divide people. I'll give you one minute, all right? So just look across the row and see if you can agree something that divides people. And then we'll have you tell me what they are. Has everybody come up with something? This is also a, a little footnote here as to what to do if you haven't prepared your sermon. Just get the congregation to prepare for it. No, I'm joking. All right, so anyone who's brave, just shout out. What's something that divides us? I think I heard politics. <laughs> what else? Religion. All right. What else? Money. Money. Wow, you guys are hitting all the big ones. Power. Did I hear jealousy? Yeah. Oh, skin color. Race. Yeah. Discipline of children can divide people. That's right. Yeah. 
types of forms and style. You know what this really starts to get into? Because we started with some big things, but as we start to move down, you know what they turn into? They turn into preferences, really. They, they turn into the kinds of things that's just how I like it. It's, it's like uh, Goldilocks, right? Well, this one's too warm and this one's too hot. And we all want it our own way. There's a couple of things that I wrote down that divide us. Um, politics, uh, money, and then I put, uh, school districts, race, education, gender, denominations, our expression of worship. And then I, I kind of got real here. I said our own judgments and our attitudes of others. That's where division really finds the root. I mean, even in my own, my own household, my wife and I can't agree on what to watch for TV. Uh, anybody with me there, right? Like, I like to watch documentaries. I just say the word documentary and she falls asleep. <laughs> and uh, she loves all the rom-coms, like uh, 13 Going on 30, or The Parent Trap, or Princess Diaries. You say Princess Diaries to any man and he falls asleep. <laughs> Here's what I've realized, though, and you will find this shown out through the Word of God as we're celebrating this new series, this, uh, this idea of moving us towards Easter. A centrality is that unity is found where there's a center unifying theme, where there's one single thing that people draw towards. The result is not division. The result is unity. And the place when, the place, uh, what happens is when we take our eye off of that purpose, when we take our eye off of that unifying center, that's when we get divided. And you can think of this as simple as uh, athletics or sports, that the goal is to win, right? The goal is to accomplish uh, the, the reason for why you're competing. And as a team, when you're unified towards that goal, you work as a team. But then when it starts to be, well, I'm, I want my stats to look good. And then what, what about my record and... Uh, the TV cameras are here. Well, you can see the same thing begin to happen. That when we turn our eyes off of something that's central and something that's unifying, that's where division comes. We need a common center for unity. We need a common center. This series is called Grace Together. It was decided by our ministry leadership back in January when we met. I asked the question, what should our theme be for 2017? And we threw out a couple ideas and we kind of landed and settled on this idea of grace Together. Grace is a beautiful, beautiful word. It means unmerited favor. It means that God extends love to you when you are loveless, when you have nothing to offer Him. I learned it as an acronym G R A C E God's riches at Christ's expense. But there's another word in this 2017 theme besides grace it's grace together. We would be brought together under a central, common, unifying theme. It's the grace that has been given us by Jesus Christ. This morning's sermon is really an opening of that idea called Grace Together. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Your sermon insert has got a lot of writing. And so if you'd like to take all those notes down, that'll be fine. Otherwise, I'll have all this uh, reproduced for us on the website uh, this evening. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing uh, to uh, the church in Ephesus. It's really a, a lot of different house churches. They don't meet centrally. There's no one big building where they all get together. Uh, it's a church that's geographically spread out around the city of Ephesus. So we would be really called the church of 
what would we be called? The Church of Sagola. Yeah, that, that's how, if Paul was going to write us a letter, this is probably how he would address it, to the Church uh, of Sagola. Or, or maybe uh, like the book of Galatians, which is a larger, larger region, uh, to the Church of North Dickinson County, or to the Church in the UP. Right? Th this is the way in which it would get addressed to us. But one of the problems that's showing up in Ephesus at this time is this concern of a welcoming into the family people who aren't like us. They're different from us. They're Gentiles. Right? The Jewish people understood that they've worshipped God for well, forever. And if you want to come to know God, really, you've got to come and be more like us and look like us and talk like us and dress like us. And they had a whole long list of rules to follow. And if you didn't follow those, well, you know, you're like a, a Lego block that falls apart. You're divided on this scene. The Jews had perhaps a justifiable reason for really, really disliking Gentiles. It was only a few hundred years earlier and still very uh, acute in the memory of the Jewish people at this time that there was once this ruler that came, a great ruler that made his way through Jerusalem and slaughtered a pig on the altar, an unclean animal on the place that was sacred to God alone. He crucified all of the priests that were serving, serving all of the Jewish priests. He forbid the practice of circumcision. In fact, would murder anybody in a and any child that was circumcised. And then he went into their temple and he took all of the Jewish people's elements of worship, all of the gold, all of the, um, the, the plate of showbread, the candelabra, everything was taken away. A stripping and a raping of the Jewish people. In response of this, there arose a few nationalists who rebelled against these Greek authorities and and they practiced some guerrilla warfare for years upon years until finally they came and they retook their city, the city of Jerusalem. It was, a, it was a miraculous thing, as they recall, that the oil they had in their lamps wasn't enough to last for the whole time, but it never ran out. And today that's still celebrated by the Jewish people as the uh, celebration of Hanukkah. Now we look to this and recognize that it was wrong what happened to the Jewish people. And unfortunately, because of that conflict, because of that injustice from that Greek ruler that came in, the Jewish people said, never again is this going to happen. Never again. You are with us or you are against us. End of story. In fact, if you were to even marry a Gentile, we're kicking you out. We're calling you a Samaritan. You're done. It's Jewish nationalism above all things. And this was passed on. Don't you think it wasn't passed on to the kids? Right? I mean, Graham and Grandpa, they would tell you stories of how we took back our nation. And those Gentile dogs and what they did. And this was the kind of language that would get passed down. So you can see how prejudice and this, this, this racial division came in amongst the people. Well, now Jesus shows up. And Jesus gives grace. And he doesn't offer it just to the Jewish people. He offers it to who? Us. We're, we're beneficiaries of that as Gentiles. It's not just to the Jews. It's to everybody. But the Jews have a hard time with this. The Jews really, they struggle with this. And they struggle to invite in the Gentiles. And the Gentiles themselves even struggle with this. That there is this great division between people. You know what they need? You know what they need? They need grace what? Together. They need grace 
together. It only took you a matter of seconds to identify, and I didn't even give everybody time to say all the many things that you and your row came up with that divide us. It doesn't take you but a matter of seconds to think of those things that would cause us not to be united. It's the grace of God that supersedes and is far greater than any single one of those divisions. Everybody ready? Ephesians chapter 2. Look what Paul writes starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants and to the promise and without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing it in his flesh, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, there's one thing I, I want to make sure to point out to you as we take a look at this passage. We're, we're going to walk through it briefly and just kind of see in three different areas how Paul breaks down this idea of the dispensation of grace to all people. Not just to Jews, but to Gentiles alike. But before you do, I want you to see where this grace comes from. So verse 11 starts out with what word? What word do you have there? Therefore. Oh, what, what will all my uh, Bible study students say? Yeah, we gotta go, we got to find out what he's talking about. He's starting with a therefore. So I, I want you to look back just a few uh, verses at the start of chapter 2. So he's going to begin here with the state of all mankind. Look what he says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those in dis- who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. What, what does all mean, church? Yeah, it's all of us, all right? Nobody here is exempt. Jew, Gentile, tall, short, rich, poor, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Anybody guilty today? Any sinners in church? I hope so. I hope so because this is the main challenge when it comes to Christianity. And we read it, uh, Rosanna read it for us in our New Testament reading, right? Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they look at Jesus having dinner with these sinners. Why? why? 
Why is he eating with sinners? Does, doesn't he know? Maybe Jesus just is clueless, right? Nobody's told him that these guys are the way that they are. Jesus knows their thoughts. And he says to them, I've not come to call the healthy. He'll say in, in Luke's gospel that uh, the doctor doesn't come for the healthy, right? Who is it? He comes for those who are, who are sick. For I have come not to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. So if, if you're a sinner this morning, uh, you're in good company. Jesus is calling you, has called you, will keep calling you. All of us also were among them gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. This was the very first sermon I ever gave was this passage. I think I was 19 years old in Bible college in a homiletics class. This is the first one I ever gave. And the one thing that stands out more than anything in this passage is the very next word. Verse 4. What's it start with? It's, a, it's a called a contrastive conjunction. It, it's showing there's a major difference between what you are and what you deserve and how God sees you and what He gives you. Check this out. Verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by, what your Bible say? Grace. grace. Say aloud. It is by grace. grace that you have been saved. You didn't do a thing. You're guilty. You were by nature objects of wrath. Even those who think they're good, they're not. Therefore, God saves you how? He saves you by grace. Now he repeats this because Paul wants you to really understand it. Look with me in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace. You think Paul's trying to make his point here? How are we saved, church? Grace. By grace. We're saved by grace. It's the beauty of what we look to for Easter. Is that at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has approved the life of His very Son as an atoning sacrifice for your sin and mine. So that now, through His blood, God extends His love, the hope of eternity, the blessings that come with the righteousness that Christ has. He gives it to you. He gives it to you. And some of us are pretty slimy, right? I mean, some of us really... I mean, all of us really don't deserve it. Some of us really don't deserve it. But we all, we all don't deserve it. And God gives us His grace. Verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's not by works. I'm amazed at how Paul just... Just spells it out. Just black and white. I mean, break it down simple for me, Paul. Yeah, you're saved by grace, not works. 
This is where we pick up the therefore in verse 11. This is where it begins. So the first section here in verse 11 through verse 13 is the reminder of this grace. All right. So he's already told us about it up to verse 10. Right. We've heard it repeated and repeated and repeated. And so now he gives us the reminder. This is what he wants to say. Look in verse 11. Therefore, remember. And then he talks about what you were. But then in verse 12, look what he says again. Remember. I mean, he's given you this reminder. You've got to know what you were. you got to know where, what you used to be if you're ever going to really worship God for what He has done for you. You know what you used to be? Well, here it's, it's five really awful, awful things. You were separated from Christ. You're separated. You're not near Him. You're not by Him. You don't have access to Him. Um, this is... I don't know if you who have children have one uh, parent that kind of plays the favorite. Um, I am guilty of that. I mean, it's not good for your pastor to say this, but let's just be honest this morning. That when uh, my little daughter wants something and mommy's not giving it to her, if she asks daddy, you know, (laughs) it's tough, right? (laughs) But sometimes mom, being a good mom that she is, will pull her away so that she doesn't get to go to daddy she's sep- she's separated now what sound do you think she makes when mom does that yeah. yeah you you don't have access to get what you need you don't have access to get what you want and that's where we were we were separated from christ you're not near him uh, we were excluded from citizenship with israel so all that would come with being part of the family of god uh-uh you i'm sorry uh didn't take a wall uh, to keep you out of citizenship, right? Uh, you're, you're not allowed in at all to begin with. Immigration is going to turn you away. You're foreigners to the covenants and to the promise. You don't get the promise of God. The covenants, the promises that God made with his people, you do not get those. And you know what that leaves you with? That leaves you without hope and without God in the world. I believe this is, the, this is the, the saddest portion of Scripture, right? This is what we were, without hope, without God. But verse 13 corrects all of that. Verse 13, if you're in the habit of underlining or circling in your Bible, this is the one right here. Underline this verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is what Paul says Remember, you've got to remember. There's going to be a quiz later. You need to remember. There, is, there isn't. But you know, that's the idea. It's like, study this. Memorize this. Focus on this. Because when you understand the depth from where you came from and where you are now, it is the natural response of the believer to express that in worship. To know where God has taken you. And where, what he has saved you from. Where would you be today without God? Where would you be? You'd all be sleeping in this morning. That's what you <laughs> But imagine where you'd be throughout the week. Imagine where you'd be uh, when your loved one dies. You have no hope. There, there's, there's nothing left for you. Imagine where you would be when hard times come. No, I'm sorry. You're without God. But I'm not praying now. No. You're without God. But verse 13, verse 13, again, that contrast of conjunction, 
but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near. That's the, re- that's the reminder of grace. The second section here, as Paul gets into it, he, he wants to unpack how this works. So the, the real meat of it there is 11 through 13. That's the reminder. This is where you were. This is where you are now. But l- let me explain to you how you got there. So uh, this next section starts out with the actions of grace, the actions of grace. And this is what we need to hold on to. Verse 14, look at this. For he himself is our peace who made the two one and has, what, what do you do with the barrier? Destroyed. He destroyed it. So this is what grace does. Grace throws away the offense. Right? You know what that thing that was separating Jews and Gentiles? That was like this great wall. In fact, he calls it a wall. It's a dividing wall. It's a barrier. That's the offense between them. And what does grace do with it? Yeah, let, let, let me just tear this thing down. This thing don't belong here. What? I can, I can see the problem while you are getting along. There's a giant wall between you. So you know what grace does? Is it removes the barrier. doesn't leave it up. It doesn't tunnel underneath, doesn't build a ladder over the top, doesn't say, well, if you take a left on this street, work your way around. It gets rid of it completely. This is what grace does. It throws away the offense. I want you to see the second thing that grace does is in verse 15, just continuing on by, how do you do this? By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two that's making peace. Oh, yeah, it's no problem. Uh, Time out. How did he do it? By abolishing it in his his flesh. So the second thing that grace does is that grace calls for self-sacrifice. In this case, it was God who made the sacrifice. That's what grace does. Grace is seen through the sacrifice of God's own Son to bring unifying peace. I hope that you're preparing your hearts for Easter and even spending time, as we've talked about, through the season of Lent to take up uh, an additional discipline of, of our lives to focus on the reminder, just like Paul would say, remember what he has done for you. Because we're going to celebrate that next week. That's Good Friday. That's the day where we remember Jesus murdered on the cross. So he, he, he gets rid of the wall. right? He, 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 de- he destroys the barrier, but he does so through self-sacrifice. That's called grace. He, he doesn't give you the bill. He doesn't say, well, I'll go this far, but you've got to go the, you know... I'll take it 90% of the way. God doesn't say, hey, I help those who help them. Uh -uh. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he carries the entirety of the burden on his own shoulders. That's grace. Grace is seen in self-sacrifice that brings unifying peace. That was verse 15. Verse 16, we see the next aspect of grace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It wasn't anything that it cost you. Grace never shows up and brings you a, a bill. If, <laughs> I, have the, I have the world's, I think, greatest father-in-law. He's just the s- sweetest, nicest man I've ever met. 
And when we go out to eat, he always has to pay. He always has to pay, which frankly is fine with me. But then sometimes we work out a deal, right? So he'll cover the check if I cover the... Anybody else do that? Yeah. yeah. Guess what? God's not like that with you. God does not come and say, hey, I'll cover the, I'll cover the bill if you just pay the tip. He doesn't leave anything that you have left to pay. There's nothing left for you to owe. That's grace. Grace covers the entirety of the cost without leaving anything remaining on your account. Grace removes the offense without cost to the offender. There's a really important word, and it is the centrality around we must find unity. There's no cost left to pay because Jesus died on the cross for me. There's no cost left to pay because Jesus died on the cross for me. Our world doesn't work like this. And our challenge is to retrain our thinking to understand of God's love to us as extended by grace. Because grace removes the offense without cost to the offender. Now this kind of humbles me because I don't know about you, but when I try to imagine this in my own life, has anyone here ever been wronged by somebody? Anyone here ever been offended by somebody? And, and had a loving spouse maybe gently and kindly tell you, you know, you should go talk to them. You should, they didn't mean it the way they meant it, and you should make, you know, mind your own business, please, because they can come to me first before I have anything to say to them. Thank you very much. That's not how it works with grace. That's not how it ought to work with believers. Grace together will never exist if we continually want to say, well, I'll, I'll go 90% of the way, but you've got to meet me part way. That's not grace. And that won't work. It's not unifying. You and I, we both need to remember that anything to which we would want to hold against one another or even outside this church, all of it sufficiently has been paid by Jesus Christ. There's no cost left for me. So why would I level a cost to my neighbor or to my spouse, to my children? You're offering them something, but it's not grace. There's a few other ways in which the actions of grace are played out. Our next verse, verse 17, is another really humbling one. Verse 17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He came to you. He, he didn't wait for you to come to him. He went to us. Look, church, you got to hear this. Jesus Christ was perfectly fine to stay in heaven. He had a good thing going. It wasn't a problem at all. Creation was doing its thing, whatever. Except that it broke his heart because it was his. And we weren't making it to God. Trust me, we were trying. A lot of people today are still trying, and you will never make it to God. And so you know what God does? He comes to you. He came we celebrate Christmas with her, right? The incarnation when Jesus came and was found in flesh as a baby, humble. He came to die on the cross. He came and preached peace to those who were far away. That was us. And he came and he preached to those who were even near, and that was the Jews. He didn't wait for them to go to him. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is picking up 
a list of retraining how we think. Retraining the way in which we understand God's blessing and His economy in this world. Verse 21 starts out this uh, recorrection on the law, right? Jesus will say, you've heard it said, don't murder anybody. And all of us are like, I ain't never murdered nobody, so I'm good. I'm doing good. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone ever guilty now? Anybody? Be honest, you're in church. Yeah. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So if you're, if you're bad-mouthing somebody behind their back, uh, I never murdered him. You're, you're murdering them in your heart. You're carrying the perspective of a murderer by what you say about them. Guess what? That means you're guilty. Like we, You all polished on the outside. You look nice and squeaky clean. But guess what? God sees the dirty inside. And so you're guilty. And so check this out. Verse 23. This is the one that's tough. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, say, going to church. Hey, everybody, say, going to church. Yeah. All right, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, right? I'm, I'm going to go to church today. Get your fancy shoes on. And remember that your brother has something against you. That doesn't even say you have something against them. And ladies, this means sisters, too. Just get, get the sisters in on this, right? If you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it in the front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. No, man, he can come to me. I'm not going to go. And it's not grace. And you're pretending at church. You're pretending. Stop pretending. Get real with your faith. Because we want to experience grace. How? Together. We want to experience grace together. And so grace, you know what it does? Is it goes to the offended one. I can't believe what you said. And I can tell that person's got something against me. Have you ever done this? Because I, I do this. I hate when people have something against me. Anybody else like that? That it's just like, I stay up at night. I don't, my appetite goes away. It bothers me. I can't stand it. Like, I just want to go and be like, hey man, what happened? What, what's going on between us? I just want to make sure we're cool. And if there's anything that I have done, please tell me so that I can ask your forgiveness. Because I truly did not mean to cause any divide here. I, your pastor here put his foot in his mouth sometimes. Some of you already experienced this. So, <laughs> you know of anything wrong, you go to them. You don't wait for them to come to you. That's what grace does. All right, these last two really go together. Grace is sourced in Jesus and grace is sourced in in love. I want you to look at verse 18. Paul says, For through him. Who? Jesus. Jesus. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. If you're, if you're pretty sharp here this morning, does anyone see uh, what's shown evident here in verse 18? Anybody see the Trinity? Our triune God shows up right here in verse 18. And you know what? This is really helpful. It's a completely different sermon, but talking on this idea of prayer, when we pray to God, do you know how you pray to God? You, again, it's a different sermon. We can get more in depth. But you don't pray to Jesus and you don't pray to the Spirit. You pray to God the Father through the Son by 
the Spirit. Right here, these prepositions are the ones that we use. So we come to God through the Son. That's how we come to the Father, and we do it by one Spirit. So grace, it's sourced in Jesus. And then I just want you to look back again to verse 4. Look at, there's another really great word to underline in here, but because of his great love. Paul could have just put love, but he put great love. That's the action of grace. It doesn't wait for you to come. It goes to you. All right, last thing I want you to see now is the consequence of grace. This shows up in verse 19. Consequently, so because of this, and this is really good news. Consequently, we are no longer foreigners. We're, we're not separated from God. We're not aliens. We're not just visiting God. But we are fellow citizens with God's people. You, you now belong to the family. You're now members of his household. And then I really want you to catch this last thing. You're being built into, and he says it three different ways. Do you see this? In verses 20, uh, 20 21, 22, you're being built into a building. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the word of God, right? Where are you going to read what the apostles wrote? Everybody say Old Testament. Old Testament. Uh, where are you going to read what the, oh, I say prophets? Prophets, Old Testament. What about the apostles? Where did they write? New Testament. Yeah, that's what this is. This is what we're built on, church. You're being built. And then he calls it a dwelling. Joined together to become a, a holy temple in verse 21. And in verse 22, in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. Look up here. Check this out. That's the church. Right? This is how God has designed the church. Because you know where God's going to go? This door open? God's going to come. He's going to live here. He's going to live here. That's what it says. Look at verse 21. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now how many of you, if I said, I'm coming over to your house today, would be like, mm, honey, you didn't say the pastor was coming. We've got to clean up. and Right? Yeah, I got you, you don't want a, a big mess when people are coming over, right? Well, guess what? God doesn't want a mess in his house. He doesn't. He wants to teach his people how to live and to, to form a building that joins together and grows together and continues to develop so that he lives there and wants to live there and dwell there and work with us there and move there and be active there and set up his workshop there and keep working on us in his house. That's what the church is. The consequence of grace is that we are built together around a common theme, a common unifying theme. That's from verse 13. It's God's grace. The last thing I want you to see is just the perspective of this, because this is what you've got to do with it. I don't know where you're at today, but I guess all of us have room to grow somewhere. I know that it's a challenge for me to think of the... Um, Religions of the world as being allowed in or, or, or part, part of us. Right? I mean, I'm kind of like the Jews and Gentiles. Look, you guys got your own deal. But you know what? God's grace, it needs to be extended to our global community. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's a place where it's just a wall in your heart. And it's a challenge where you don't want to, you got to work not to hold anything against them. You got to learn to give grace. And to love globally, that's across our oceans.
and the borders of our world. Or maybe it's, and this is the one that I think is more uh, applicable to us, our Christian community. Somebody mentioned what are things that divide us. Denominations divide us, church. I hate that more than anything. There ain't no Presbyterian section in heaven. There's no Lutheran section, no Baptist, no non-denominational section. That's still a tricky denomination. They don't think they are, but they are. Heaven is for everybody, extended freely, Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free, rich and poor. And when we look across the Christian community, God forbid that the world would be like, man, you all can't even get your act together. So you know what? We're like the family. If you had multiple kids where they put the sign on the door, no girls allowed. Right? No Baptists allowed. No Episcopalians allowed. Or uh, this is like right in the car. This is, they crossed my line. This is my side. You stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. I mean, get rid of that. Why do we live in a world like that? That's not grace. Grace extends to our Christian community. And if for you this morning, that's a struggle, I, I, want, you to, I want you to really let God work on you there. That we would look across the denominational lines. Now, from what I've seen here at our church, that may not be a big problem. But I just know I see this throughout our world. All right, next to this, my church family. Ooh, now we're getting real. All right? Because this also is a household. And it's real easy for us here to divide ourselves. For uh, Politics is, is a big one. Oh, I heard it. Like, and we just immediately paint each other with a brush like that's who they are. And No matter what it is. We will fail at the further step of reaching our world if we're divided here. So is there anyone at church today that you need to maybe leave your gift at the altar and go to them first? Because we're, we're going to celebrate communion here in a minute. Think of that word. Communion. And maybe it would be best for you to find somebody quick and pull them aside and just confess, look, I've been, I've been murdering you in my heart. And that's wrong. And I need your forgiveness. Because we need to extend that grace globally. We need to extend it across denominational lines. But we certainly need to extend it here in our own church family. And lastly, let's just get it right down to the very core. is your own family. A lot of brokenness in homes. A lot of generational kind of baggage that hangs with people. We've got to learn to put those things away. And maybe there's someone that you could call today. Maybe there's a parent or a child. Somebody that... You know what? It's time. It's time to let that thing go. To extend grace to others the way God has extended it to us. The key is in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near through the blood of Christ.